0: Listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast, affectionately known as The Mog, an open forum and promotional outlet for budding artists and creatives from all across the Mid Atlantic region. I'm your host, Brad Cox, not necessarily affectionately known as anything other than Brad Cox, but I'm here all the same. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on The Mog. Friends, East coastians and countrymen and women of all ages, welcome to the Mog. As always, links for our guests will be made available in the description, and a song or some type of promotional feature will be tacked on to the end of each episode. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors: Vagabond Sandwich Company, Capricost Books, Musicland, Black Eyed Susie's, Double Groove Brewing, Baltimore Decal Gal, and Reb Records. Remember to love local, support local, and to eat and drink local. Don't forget to use discount code Mog pod for a 10% discount at Capricost Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing one of Black Eyed Susie's legendary orange crushes and a killer lunch or dinner. Black Eyed Susie's has been supporting Local for a long time. It's your one-stop spot for original and cover entertainment and an afternoon or evening out with friends on their rooftop deck. If you haven't heard, there's something very special about Double Groove Brewing. It's a melting pot of personalities, ages, loves, interests and musical tastes. There are hippies, professionals, rockers, folk artists, friends and families here. Throw in the most delicious and satisfying craft beer on the planet and this place is complete magic. They are tireless supporters of the local talent. Stop by their location in Forest Hill for a pint and a night out with friends. First Fridays is back. The Bel Air Downtown Alliance is preparing for another exciting year of music and community in the downtown Bel Air area. This county favorite will run through October on the first Friday of every month. The Phoenix Festival Theater's Tarzan is coming to the Amos Center on June 17th, 18th, and 19th. For tickets, go to tickets.harford.edu. The Hartford Dance Theater is bringing the Kinetic Canvas back to the Chesapeake Theater on August 5th and 6th, highlighting the art of Andy Warhol through Inspired Dance. For tickets, visit HarfordEvents.com. You may know Scott Lester from all of his years in the Baltimore music scene, performing solo or with his bands Fall Town and Letterboxd. But he's also been working behind the scenes with some of your favorite radio stations, making sure you're laughing to and from your way to work. He's a man who's always got his pulse on what's happening in the world, and he's here today to talk about his musical journey and what's next for his army of fans. Join me in welcoming Scott Lester to the frickin' Mog! Scott,
1: welcome to the Mouthful Graffiti Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. I'm I'm glad we finally were <laughs> able to lock this down i know i I had to reschedule a couple times i'm sorry but i'm glad we finally made it happen no
0: i'm glad you're here and i'm glad we're doing this let me read the news real quick and we'll get right into it absolutely all right transcendent events is bringing the star wars trivia adventure to mutiny
1: elkridge on thursday june 9th i am a casual star wars fan i'm not like one of the over the top yeah i'm like oh cool but i'm not like the over the top fan but you're enough of a fan that you would have a favorite character. I feel like if I say Luke Skywalker, that's like the generic
0: answer. But, but that like, might be the
1: answer. It is the answer. Okay.
0: <laughs> so I've only seen a part of the first one. The like OG, like 1977? The OG, yeah. Okay. But I remember really liking R2-D2. Oh, yeah. And then I saw the Ewoks Adventure, which I'm not even sure that's a Star Wars movie, but... Uh, it's in the universe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rapola Entertainment has Icon for Hire and the Ready for Combat Tour with local favorites Echo to Locate, Crashing Atlas, and more coming to Zen West. Uh, so go to the Rapola Entertainment page for more details and be the first to message me the words Baltimore Decal, and you'll receive a $25 gift card to the Baltimore Decal gal. I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm a little bit more self-conscious doing this particular episode than usual. Why? Because you are a show producer for WBAL. Yeah. And I'm saying <laughs> WBAL because you're now syndicating all of the Orioles games
1: yeah what are they left with like county board meetings (laughs) well i'm working now i'm a my title creative services producer i'm working with 98 rock and wbal doing commercial production heading up the orioles production not the game day-to-day stuff but like the sound of like the network broadcast and that kind of thing so yeah i've got my my hands involved in quite a few things now gary holmes yeah He told me that you're a big Orioles fan. Huge.
0: Well, okay. I'll get into that story in a minute, but you wear a hat with the upside down Orioles head (laughs) or the logo. So why is that? So I saw it. I I was almost wondering if you're becoming like the anti-fan.
1: No, 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 no. Even though I I feel like, A, it's kind of interesting. It's a conversation starter. People are like, what's going on with that hat? It's it's on the mug. There we go. Yeah. And I feel like for a long time it was kind of indicative of of the team. You know how like an upside down American flag means like distress. Yes, I feel like the team for a while has just been in this crazy turmoil. But you know, I'm ever a loyalist, so I mean, I love the team, and I just think the hat is is pretty. I didn't I didn't bring it today, but yeah, it's got the the cartoon bird head upside down. And the weird thing is, it's an officially licensed like ML, It's not like some like knockoff hat. Like I bought it on MLB Shop. Like, like it's would a, they sell it at the games? They they don't sell them anymore i don't know if they ever sold them at the games okay. i bought it online but i've seen it resell now on like stockx or one of those like where people buy like shoes like the $500 for Jordans. This hat's going for like $125 now. I bought it for like 30 bucks. So I'm probably showing my age here, but the last time I was an Orioles
0: fan was back with Eddie Murray, okay. Cal Ripken, all those guys. Murray. Actually, Eddie Murray was my guy, and I collected baseball cards. Like I had like all the sleeves. Remember those cardboard box sleeves? Oh, yeah. I had tons of them. I, I think I sold them at a yard sale for like 10 bucks. But then, like, somewhere along the lines, I think I stopped tracking with the Orioles for it, good reason because they were just not doing
1: very well. They were bad for a long time. Yeah. I mean, so what do you like about the Orioles? <laughs> well, <laughs> especially now, I mean even, okay, even when things weren't going great and they were losing 100 100 games a year which, you know, there's 162 games in a season, they're losing 100 a year. That's bad. But ever the optimist, I think the minor league talent is there right now and that they are actually on the way to turning things around. But I hope <laughs> I'm right. Within I think within like 2 years They'll be one of the best teams in the American League. I hope I'm right. And if I'm wrong, you can play this back for me and be like, what were you talking about, dude? So Gary wanted me to also tell you a story. And I
0: I have to tell you the story because it was one of those like fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of moments. So we were in Las Vegas. Uh We went out there uh, to see Guns N' Roses at at whatever new stadium they had. And we were day drinking, but we had been up since like 2.30 in the morning. We caught our planes together. We got out there. We drank all day. And somewhere around like 6 p.m., Gary just he sits down at the sports book at the link and I don't know for whatever reason I was still like amped up I still wanted to drink and he just wanted to sit there and relax and watch the game which in hindsight makes complete sense that's what he should have been doing right that's what I should have been doing and I for whatever reason I guess because I was drunk I just blurted out Gary nobody gives a f- about the Orioles. And like the entire place, because everybody was watching the Orioles, everybody gets quiet. It was like, mm? you know, just like turns their head, looks at me. And Everything I was like, gets quiet. Just <laughs> You're the guy. Everyone's yeah.
1: Like, and I didn't really mean it at the, at the moment. And for anyone who knows or doesn't know, like Gary, you guys play together now, like Gary was like the first drummer in my oh we're getting to that oh we get, okay. we're getting we're go, there we'll go down that road okay his name's
0: come up like four times already but, i know it's great so let's talk about your journey into radio because okay. I, that's a pretty fascinating story you started i think at Hartford community college yeah so tell the story
1: all right so the i started I, I actually was a graphic design major and uh not too long into that track realized i was not good at it and back then it was I had more no idea yeah graphic design it was more clunky i think than than the way things are now too like if you're working in like photoshop or illustrator whatever you're working on right. and like creating like back then i mean i'm 41 so this was like 2000 2000 cuz i graduated high school in 99 so in 2000 like the tech wasn't as great as it is now yeah. so i ended up taking some radio courses and then i don't oh, oh a buddy of mine who i actually haven't seen since then asked if I wanted to come co-host his Tuesday afternoon radio show on the college campus. and I was like, yeah, sure. That'd be fun. And we did maybe four or five of them. And then one day he just didn't show up and I just started doing it. And I've n- I've never talked to him since then.
0: Were you a DJ in that moment then?
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would like occasionally do stuff like talk and like we right. would talk. It was, it was a terrible show. But I... You were cutting your teeth. Yeah, we'll call it that. I, I just started doing a show then and changed my major to communications ended up getting an internship at now it's called odyssey, but then it was CBS radio. I worked part-time at CBS radio as part of like the, or interned, I should say, as part of the like requirements for the, for the graduation made for the major and got hired there part-time, ended up producing a morning show on mix 106.5. When I started, it was called Jojo and Kenny early two thousands. Yeah. Because you were there for about eleven years. Well, I was with 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 CBS. I was there for five. Okay, so CBS was before Mix One Hundred Six Point Five, right? CBS is Mix One Hundred Six Point Five. Okay, and then I was there for five years. Then ended up producing that morning show till two thousand eight. Was out of radio for about a year because if anyone knows radio, there's just layoffs randomly happen. Uh, There was a whole bunch of us that were laid off in it was November of oh eight. In March of 2010, I got hired by iHeart uh, Radio to produce a weekend okay. show called the uh, Club Kane. That's the one that I think I saw you were there for like eleven years. Yeah, Okay. Yep. that's where I was with that company for eleven years. Um, worked with this morning show called the Kane Show, and his uh, Kane did a weekend show called Club Kane. Uh, worked there for ten, and then worked remotely for a morning show in LA uh, called Valentine in the Morning. And I also was a writer for a weekend show in LA called the LNK Weekend Show. So, so you ended up at the station in California though because of more layoffs. Yeah, yeah, I was laid off. The company iHeart laid off a whole lot of people like nationwide in January of 2020. Which being laid off at any point sucks. Yeah, but being laid off two months before a global pandemic—I I mean, you don't know that's coming. But I was laid off, and I'm like, all right, I'll regroup and. Start looking for another job. Trying to find a job during a pandemic—it's a nightmare. It yes. Um, luckily, I had some contacts that I had met through working uh, locally uh, gave me a call and was like, "Hey, are you interested in this? You can. It, it would be remote, but you'd be working with these shows." And I said, "Yeah, you know, I'm definitely yeah. interested in that." And that was about July, June or July of 2020. So luckily, I was only out of work for about six months. Um, and then there for a year and a half, and now with 98 Rock and, and BAL, which is a Hearst Hearst company. Hearst owns mostly like print and TV stations. Uh, they only own two radio stations in the entire country, and it's these two. Really? Yeah.
0: I did not realize
1: that. They I, use, I knew it was a big conglomerate, but... Oh, God, yeah. Like Hearst as a company has been around over 100 years. So it's like the Baltimore Sun Tribune. Right, right. They own like... Uh, we're like the NBC affiliate, because the building I'm in, it's WBAL TV is... Downstairs, we're upstairs, and it's just radio. Um for WBA on 90 rock, we're upstairs. So it's it's a pretty it's a definitely a different vibe. Um, but I really enjoy it. Like everybody, I'm not just saying that because i work there now, but everybody I'm working with is really cool and I like the work. It's a little different than producing a specific show because now I'm doing a lot of work for these stations instead of like one specific show.
0: What I liked about your layoff, which is a weird way to say
1: it, <laughs> was the fact that you took it
0: in stride. I've seen people, especially in your field, who did not take certain things in stride. And you did. I remember actually sitting at a breakfast bar in Myrtle Beach, and you had just announced that you got this job for iHeart in California. Yeah. And I was like, son of a bitch, he did it. You know, I was I was happy for you and proud of you because I know I've been unemployed due to uh, layoffs. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling because you want to
1: stay in your field, but you may not have that option. It, it's a mind fuck for your mental because like, you start questioning like, oh, my good I did anyway. I, I kind of spiraled because as I tend to do, but I was what's like my value. Yeah. What's my am yeah. I still good at this? Was I good at this? Like you really start questioning, like, what's next? And and you know, as you get to a certain age, not like I'm like 90, but you start wondering, okay. I mean,
0: you're, you're what, 10 years off or?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be 80 <laughs> soon. Um, You start wondering if, okay, am, am I still like viable in this industry? Cause I've seen a lot of people and especially in radio or entertainment in general, think that they have a shelf life based on like their age or what they look like or that sort of thing. And I think if you're talented, how old you are and what you are, it shouldn't matter. It should be the talent that kind of, yeah, you through yeah. And, and you have that you have a good pause on what's going on out there and
0: you can tell that just from your social media presence and people could just use your page as a news source because sometimes it's like oh i didn't know that was happening but scott Luster does <laughs> so
1: and honestly, but that's part of your job yeah like part of it is just knowing especially the years i was working with specific shows because it's it's a pop culture driven business even now where i mean i don't work with the 98 rock morning show specifically but i know those guys now and they've always said like if you got an idea for something or you see something let us know and they're that way with not just me but with anybody around because if, if if the content or the subject or whatever is good and they can use it for something cool I don't care if I get credit for it, as long as it works for them. Sweet. And 98 Rock's
0: very much like SNL. There's different eras of, like, 98 Rock. And oh, yeah. I feel like this particular era with that morning show, Kirk and Marianne are great. Obviously, Amelia's the, the queen of midday. I mean, it's, it's a really strong lineup. The only thing I would recommend as a complete third party who doesn't really care about the Oriole games <laughs> is that we maybe just broadcast... The Maybe the last of the home games, my stereo in my car is broken. And I can't tell you how often now I'm going to turn on the radio, and this is my only option. And it's the it's the bottom of the ninth. And I'm like, God damn it. I just want to hear – well, I probably don't want to hear ACDC, but you know what I mean. It doesn't work or it won't change. My CD player broke, and it's really old. Oh, so basically, man. terrestrial radio is my only go-to at this point. Oh, man. And so it's either uh, Jack FM
1: or – Right. Okay. <laughs> well – the deal that we, I say, I know we, you're the flagship. We are the flagship, and the deal is a, it's a six year deal. So, oh, God, you're, you're gonna get, <laughs> you're gonna get Orioles on ninety eight and BAL for a while now.
0: All right, I'm just gonna have to suck it up, start collecting cards again, and I'd like, get back into it. I just need to get back into it. If I was into it, I would probably care more. It's a good excuse to become a fan again. Yeah. Do you uh, <laughs> ever go to the games, or do you have you been to? So that's the thing. I do like the games, but uh, I liked drinking, right? And Which is why I like the games because you can like literally sit there for like an hour and a half, two hours, suck back three or four beers, maybe more, eat a hot dog and chill out. Yeah. I don't drink anymore. So now it's hot
1: dogs. <laughs> so now you just pack it on, spending extra money for yeah, – it's, it's just Oscar Mayer and uh, yeah, yeah, sitting. My old drummer hated baseball and he was like, why do you like this? It's so boring. Uh, for me, it's not boring but it's – I think – People who watch golf have something wrong with them. I'm like, how how can you watch right. this? That's that next level. It's a, I mean, like, I mean, there's people who love it and love like the, you know, the everything that goes into it. Like, that's not for me. So I guess people see baseball the same way. Yeah. Do you ever have to like
0: pinch yourself because you're kind of in a sense living the proverbial dream? This industry is not easy to get into.
1: It's not. I feel like especially now with the, like, there's a lot of. I don't want to say like homogenization cause that's the wrong word, but like where somebody in, like I have a friend who works for my former company and they're in DC and he will do like weekend shows, but he's on like eight or nine stations across the weekend. So those shifts that might be of that were formerly available in those markets, wherever he is, and whether it's St. Louis, Detroit, my I don't I can't think of where the right. markets that he's in, but instead of somebody local on now, there's one person doing those shifts. So it might be harder for somebody who wants to get into it and, and be on the air to be it might end up just difficult now. Um, which surprisingly, I never had like a huge desire to do like i liked working for the morning shows i worked for and sometimes i was gonna ask you if you ever wanted to be an actual dj personality i did some fill-in work on the weekends here in baltimore when i was uh or z1043 just a pop station i would do an occasional saturday or sunday shift never really that's basically it like i i like being able to be the guy behind the scenes who keeps the train on the tracks while like everything might be going to hell right but as long as the listener like the dog in the household fire yeah everything's fine yeah as long as like the listener can't tell that shit's just like going off the rails and i'm able to like keep things moving forward like there's been times uh, on a certain show that i used to work for that we'd be five minutes before going live and your guest is late or or the host hasn't done anything for the show yet oh no and we're going live on 100 stations in five minutes and i've got nothing So you gotta do your homework. Oh, you have no idea. Like I would have perhaps in case of emergency, like break glass segments, like all right, I need I need something to fill here. And like kind of piecing together a puzzle that because if you don't have something at ready to go, all those stations have nothing. Yeah. So and I don't want that coming back on me. No, and being behind the microphone, also I wouldn't want that
0: feeling. Oh no, like I, no. I don't I don't sit down and do a podcast. There there are podcasts out there where people just turn on the mic and have a, a fluid but very short conversation with somebody <laughs> because it's like they they don't know where to take the conversation. Yeah. You gotta do your research. If you're if you're not gonna do it, it's not gonna be a
1: very good program. Yeah, especially like like I said before, like anything pop culture related, because you wanna be whether it's a pop like on a pop radio, you know, your catch Katy Perry type show. Yeah. Or a 98 rock type show, metallic ACDC kind of thing. You still want to be up on the pop culture that your target audience knows about. Like is our show on 98 rock going to talk about the Kardashians and what they're doing? No. But if something crazy happens with, I don't know, think of some, like some celebrity or if it's like some, like a, like a Robert Downey Jr. Does something crazy. Like we'll talk about that. You know, I'm I'm The, the Will Smith slap. Yes. Yeah. Like and, and, that, and you want to know all
0: angles of it because
1: you don't want to, like,
0: come out of the gate with, like, an impulsive reaction to that and realize uh, 30 minutes later after the
1: show's over, that was the wrong take. Yeah. And here comes the hate. Oh, yeah. And especially the way things are now. Like, you say one thing kind of that might be off the cuff that you don't even think about. But in this world of everything recorded and social media and all that kind of stuff, like, you don't want to burn yourself. And you don't want to say something that definitely gets interpreted the wrong way. What is a typical day like for you at the station? It's better for me because for the better part of 15 years, I was getting up 3.30. So now, like, I usually get into the office between 8.30 and 9, go to my studio, see if I've got any. um, I work real closely with our sales department, so I help them create commercials for clients that they're trying to sell to get on the air. So, you know, they might say, hey, we're working with, you know, xyz car dealership they kind of want an uh, uh, something that has maybe a baseball theme to it here are the bullet points can we make a 30 second commercial okay I'll go, yeah okay and sometimes they come to me with the script sometimes they come to me with an idea sometimes there's nothing They're so you like, got to fill in the blanks at that point i gotta figure out like okay what's what are we doing we're doing a 30 second commercial for a mexican restaurant okay what's it for do they have specials or and then we just kind of like determine what direction we want to take with the commercials and then um i'm like our point person there for all the commercial production and i also do excuse me some uh imaging and production for for bal and 90 rocks 98 rocks so if you hear like a promo that's like like hailstorms coming to town and there's like a you know that <laughs> right. kind of stuff. i'm i'm one of two people working on that too okay so they brought in me and a uh essentially two of us to do the same sort of thing he's the point person for more of like the imaging and production i'm the point person for the commercial stuff but we both have an overlap going back to like the the commercials you produce our sponsor vagabond sandwich company
0: recently did a commercial on mastication now i didn't realize until pre-podcast that
1: you would actually you did that i voiced it yeah i voiced it that is an awesome commercial (laughs) i'll have to send you the other one that's not some people
0: masticate more than once a day
1: It was the owner of the place, Ben. I give him credit because he, we did two of those at the same time. It was a spot about mastication and then a spot about, it was a spot that had something to do with being in the restroom. And Ben, the owner, wrote (laughs) both of those spots or both, both of the copy and we trimmed them and altered them a little bit to fit in the right. They were both 60 second commercials. We had to, you know, alter a little bit of stuff, but it was, he had an idea and, it was just up to us to, or up to me to to execute it. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And for the the mastication spot, he wanted it to sound like, in the directions or the requ- request was like a Wild Kingdom, like animal, like here we have, and that's how I read it. And I put like this, like now that you say it, yes, that yes, I, I have d- these like this light music behind it. It's like here mastication is, or I can't remember specifically what I said, but he that's what he wanted, like soft voice, National Geographic type thing, and that's what we did. It's a fantastic
0: commercial, Scott. Jeff Whalen and I spoke pre-podcast. I wanted to catch you off guard with a a couple things. Oh, God. But he also said that you might have done a commercial or some type of a bit for Oscar Mayer Wiener Hot Dogs. That is one huge wiener. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm surprised he brought that up because he's... uh... I said you can bring up anything, Jeff, and this is what he came back with. So this was 2000, I guess. So it was a project Jeff was working on. He had to film a commercial. (laughs) and me, what do you mean? Like for like uh, a college project? Yeah. Yeah. He was at, I don't think it's called this anymore, but it was Bradley Academy for the visual arts in Pennsylvania. And it was a project he was working on for, I don't even know what it was, but we ended up, I don't know. And I say, we like, it wasn't my, I didn't go there, but like, we ended up with this like Oscar Mayer hot dog commercial where (laughs) I'm sitting on this bench reading this newspaper with my then girlfriend who was sitting next to me. And this is like the plot of the commercial. And my friend, Eric um, was, he, <laughs> we're, we filmed this at the Avenue in white Marsh. He rolls up his pants and like tucks his shirt sleeves in. So he looked like he was naked and he like runs in front of us. And it looks like he flashes us. And like the cameraman, it goes like chasing him down the street and he turns around and he opens his jacket and it's a big Oscar Meyer, like logoed shirt. Oh, and the tagline of it was Oscar Mayer hot dogs. Mmm. But I read it in this, or I did the voiceover mm, in this dogs. completely ridiculous. Uh, and that's the only like spoken stuff in it is when he opens the jacket, the voiceover goes, that is one huge wiener. And then it's Oscar Mayer hot dogs. Mmm. And See? it's. <laughs> you were made for this. I, I before I even knew it, twenty two yeah. years ago, doing that. So you're not a
0: graphic designer. No, this is what you do. This is it. Yeah, and you're a creative person. It keeps you in music. When did you first discover? I really, I, I like music. I want, I want to pursue this. Were
1: you in infancy, or the first like musical memory I remember is my mom playing Sgt. Pepper. Like, okay, I remember her playing that record when I was, I don't even know. Young enough to remember it, I guess. and I just loved I didn't know what was it I the loved. album itself, yeah, like the okay. record record. And I don't know like what I loved about it then, but it was just now I can look back and go, just like the harmonies and the melodies. like I'm any project I've been involved in, like my focus is melody harmony, and hooks. Like even if it's like a heavier, and we don't really do like my projects aren't really heavy, but it still has to have a hook. so, I fell in love with Beatles stuff as a like young and I never really we will we'll go back to to Jeff. Jeff got a guitar when he was probably I don't know, maybe six, 16 or so. Okay. It was a black Fender Strat. You know, everybody's like most people's first guitar is, you know, Fender Strat. And uh I would play it occasionally and I learned one chord you learn to see and I would just move it up and down the neck and just like oh this sounds good this doesn't sound good Mm -hmm. and as a kid like I had a keyboard and I loved playing the keyboard and I was like self taught they never forced me into lessons or anything I had like the little cheesy Casio keyboard with like the sticker (laughs) stickers on it with like the notes and I had stupid like Disney songbooks and to play like a whole new world from Aladdin and that kind of shit and I wanted to play a guitar and I found in our garage this Acoustic guitar with like two inch action that my mom had it had rusty strings on it. I didn't know right. how to change strings, and I kept trying to play that. And I, they probably figured, All right, we'll buy you a guitar if you stop playing this tetanus machine. Like you're gonna, it sounds like it was an upright bass or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it was. Yeah, oh god, it was in, in the, it was like some no name like acoustic that I guess she played. The neck was like a baseball bat. Mm. So they bought me a, here we are back to the Orioles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. They bought me a, um, it was like a Mexican Fender Strat. I still have it. Um, and that really got me into, um, like, guitar. And ever since then, I've just been. So you're about 16? Yeah. I was about. Yeah. I think it was for my 16th birthday, right around there. Yeah.
0: I talk about Fall Town and Letterbox in the intro. Were there bands prior to Fall Town? Not. Well sort of uh those are the bands i want to know about i want to know about the bands that you're hiding in the closet like i over here is the most embarrassing stuff you'll ever find stuff like yeah when you're like 15 16 12 13 14 years old on like four track recordings i can't sing i can't play anything but here i am trying the only reason i haven't got rid of it is because well it's it's part of my life but the fear is if i die that Samantha's gonna find it. <laughs> She's gonna post it somewhere. Like, you know, I never really listened to his music. Jesus, you know, just be like, this is awful.
1: I we we never really. So the first like band, and I say this in quotes, was it was me, Jeff Whalen, and Matt Deskin. And okay, Matt was playing. Bass. That wasn't Town? It didn't even have a name at first. Okay, it was that, and I was playing <laughs> that same keyboard and we didn't have a drummer so i was just would hit like start on it it would play like like one of those stupid drum loops and we would just play instrumental like weird sound and stuff that was terrible and i have vhs of this yes and release it no (laughs) it's awful um and like that the first and then the first like band name we had was paradox which was like the stupidest best garage band name like ever (laughs) And this is the '90s, right? Yeah, it was like '98, '99. One-word
0: band names were the thing. Paradox.
1: We're like, what's it mean? We don't know. And it's a paradox. Yeah, right. It means itself. We're making music, but we're bad at it. Um, <laughs> and and that was like the first like real thing. And I never wanted to be a singer either. Like I I sing on all of the projects I work in now, work with now. But then I was just either playing keyboards poorly or rhythm guitar also poorly and jeff whalen was singing the songs and most of the stuff we did was covers we had like three originals that gary played on his brother brian played on uh we recorded them dave pace right so up you were basically LA.
0: though you were put into a situation where you were singing because there was really nobody else that could
1: I mean, it ended well, up. You were the only one who could actually carry a tune in the room, so you're the singer now. Well, that's Jeff started like that. Like when we were playing with like the Holmes Brothers, it was Matt Deskin, me, Jeff, okay, and Gary and Brian. And Jeff was singing the majority of the songs. I sang like two or three. And then when we really started focusing on like original songs, I just wrote more than he did at the time. And right. It the unwritten rule was like. If you wrote it, you sang it like that's kind of how we did it. And eventually he not that he lost interest in music, but he just other things ended up being like his focus. He ended up moving to Texas. So we kind of stopped playing together around the time, like before short, not too long before we moved to Texas. But, it, you know, as life happens, certain things just. Yeah, it just he's still there. He's still there. Yeah. Um, he said he's coming back soon
0: and we all need to get together and drink. And... He's 100% right. Yeah. I did find,
1: so before he moved, we went to this studio in Virginia called Dragonfly Studios with this producer, Scott Spellbring. Mm-hmm. And the version of the band, I think it was still Fall Town then, we started working on a record that never really got finished. And we had drum tracks to songs that he did. There's <laughs> the songs that he wrote. And a f- friend of ours, uh, this guy named Jay DeWitt played drums on him. Yeah. Um uh, and recently Jeff like texted me or emailed me. He was just like, I still have all these stems. I was like, send me the stuff, send me your songs. We're you gonna released something em.
0: recently, didn't you?
1: We didn't release it, but we're working I feel like on you were talking it. about, it. yeah. Yeah. Like there's a there's a Fall Town song so that this we This is very interesting. We could actually really the song that Jeff wrote, it's called How Easy. Um it had like a, a scratch guitar, his scratch guitar, and a scratch vocal. And he sent me the drums. And I re-recorded all the rhythm guitar and the bass guitar. And I told him, like, I'm going to send this to you. You're going to sing this. Send the file back to me. Yes. I'm going to do the harmonies. We're going to put this out. We're going to put like, a, like an actually professionally recorded Fall Town song, like the first time ever.
0: But something that's like 24, 25 years old.
1: Uh, Easy. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we're going back now. And for the 25-year anniversary of the first CD, where we're recording those songs with hopefully more talent and more technology than we had back then. Because I'm just curious what these songs could have sounded like with, for one, melody lines, but just two, just to like a little bit of like love.
1: Yeah. Because now it's, now it's something we want to finish because we can, not because we feel like we have to. Um, and because we,
0: a lot of the bands coming out of the gate, they didn't have the luxury of sounding terrible – because technology wasn't there these old Dave Pace recordings god love him he did the best he could but what were they going to sound like their own reels that yep the, the guys in the room are basically playing live and then overdubbing their vocal or
1: whatever dude we the three songs that we did with Dave two of them i know for a fact two of them <laughs> Gary and Brian had never played before we got to the studio like they had heard us like Jeff and I like play these shitty songs but <laughs> I'm amazed that we finished three songs because nobody really knew them, but we recorded them anyway. We spent money on that. And it was a three-song EP. It was called A Stranger in Your Own Life. And it had two songs I wrote and one song Jeff wrote. And my songs were awful. It was so bad. And I, I like to go back and not often but i'll listen to it I'm like, but
0: how awful do you really think they were i mean how much time are you putting into it like i remember my process was like i would have a song mm. i would go to dave pace's it was two hours whatever i can make at, at the pizza delivery job at the time i would take and hand it dave pace he'd be like oh 65 looks like you got an hour and 45 today it's like okay and right. that was so we would record the song and then like you look back and it's like oh it sucks It's like of
1: course it sucks because you're watching the clock and trying to like all right, i got I gotta get this right the first right. time, so I can go into bass and then vocals and right, yeah, it was a it was an adventure. And like now, like you said, with the technology being the way that it is, you can you can put out a professional sounding record in your house. Like I have a studio in my house. and I, I know it's not fancy, but it works. And like the most recent song my current band put out, we recorded one hundred percent in my in my basement. was that heroes? Uh, Heroes was a, the Bowie cover. Great job with that. Never because did,
0: you know that people are going to
1: scrutinize it because it's Bowie. Yeah. Uh, we did that. Nobody in the same room. That was our pandemic project. Okay. It was... I cut a, just people sending stems in. I cut a scratch guitar to a click, sent it to our drummer. He did drums on it, then sent it back to all of us. Everybody recorded their parts, sent them back to me. I put it all together in Pro Tools, mixed it, done. But there's a... A song called "Death of Me" that the band, the band's called Letterbox. That that we put out uh, January first of this year, hundred percent recorded in my in my basement. Everything and like the drums on the on the uh, on Heroes. I think the the album artwork work is like your living room, isn't it? Uh, it kind of it looks like a living room. Yeah, right. it's uh, our guitar player like designed it, and everything is completely like DIY uh, on that song, um, but. Yeah, it was just, oh, oh, the drums on the on the Heroes cover, he played an electronic kit, kit, sent me the MIDI of it, and I just dropped a virtual kit on it. Like, it's not even a really mic'd up kit. Everything's super DI, like, recorded. I think the project took us, like, t- two days over the course of, like, right, right here, send this back and forth, done.
0: I'm going to come over there and record something, Scott. Let's do it. I can't afford to go to Tony Crowley for every single, you know, session. Dude, come down. Yeah. I'm,
1: Bring a drummer. I've got a drum kit down there that's always mic'd up. So I just you, like doing
0: it. You've talked about the Holmes
1: Brothers, but how did you guys actually meet each other? Was it at Falston? Yeah. Okay. I, in high school. Like our first, I have video of this too. The first, I say show, it wasn't a show, but the first public performance <laughs> we ever did. Is it that one in the garage? Oh, no. It was the, uh, the high. Or we played our high school talent show. Okay. We played Enter Sandman. Yes. And, that was Gary's fault, one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know whose idea it was. I didn't sing it. Jeff sang. I played guitar. Brian played guitar. Matt played bass, and Matt did the uh, "Hush, Little Baby, Don't Say" it, that Matt yeah. did that part. And uh, yeah, it was. I have video of that too. And I don't really think we really knew the whole song, but we played. We started and stopped at the same time, and that's like that's key to a good performance. If you're all starting and stopping at the same <laughs> right. time. And not
0: stopping in the middle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. looking at each other going, what happens here? We got through it. We started, stopped at the same time.
0: That's good. So for all the years that Fall Town has been around, uh, and Schizo was around as well, we only managed to play in all that time. And we're talking like 20 plus years from what I recall, one show together with Laughing Colors at Fletcher's for a benefit. I found the article upstairs. But yeah, we played a show together, but it was only one
1: show. How is that even possible? I feel like there were supposed to be others, but it just never happened. Uh, yeah. is it really just one? That's all I recall. I remember playing. No, that wasn't you guys. It was uh it was called Central Ventricle. It was uh Chris O'Rourke's band. Chris with Jay Newberry and Is it Newberry? Yeah, Newberry sang played bass. Okay. Chris played guitar, Jay DeWitt played drums. We played a show with them, uh a band called Speed Dogs, which is Mike Potter's old band. Yes. At the Brass Monkey.
0: Which is funny. The the band name alone was funny because their music was not fast.
1: No, is this a metal project? No, Mm -mm. no. Is it is it about animals? (laughs) It's also kind of of like alternative rock. You know, I think Halfway Broken played that show too. It was like the four of us. It was packed. You couldn't like move in that place. But I think because it was the Brass Monkey, every band got like twenty five dollars. Like good job, guys. Here you go. Here's your case of beer and twenty five bucks.
0: Right. Oh man. So you told me another thing pre podcast that. I, I'm putting you in the column with Derek Credito, Frank Kachowski, and you apparently auditioned to be in Schizo at one point. Yeah, I I don't know if you remember this. You pro- I don't I, remember
1: anything from that era. That's why I quit drinking. It was, it was the, I don't remember what year it was, but it was for bass. And um, I learned like two or three songs, and I think I never rehearsed with like a full band, but with you at your old house. Oh, but like was one it? random like day. Okay. Yeah, it was like a one time. Let's now. Meet. I do
0: remember you coming back to our our place one night. I, I don't know. If it was like after the tower or something like that, and you weren't drinking at the time at all. Yeah. nothing. And I, I just I just sat on the couch and got drunk. And maybe that was the audition. Maybe not. Not <laughs> a fair audition.
1: <laughs> I'm. That's why I came here today to figure out what happened. No, I'm. Kidding. I, uh, I just don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I didn't know. Credito audition too?
0: The, yeah, now that's going back to apparently like 2001 when Chris Vizzetti was in the band. Remember Chris? I know the name, yeah. Guitar player, right? Yeah, yeah. And he apparently came in and
1: I, I guess we weren't looking for somebody anymore. But Wow. I think most of us... It's more embarrassing that I don't remember it. Most of us have played in each other's bands at some point. Right. Or at least if it's not a, this, a, a show together, it's this area in the music scene here is super incestuous and i mean yes. that in a good way just because like everybody that's, has played together at some point that's what dave beam said it's just uh, you can't you, you can't not i remember his old band hourglass um they just they were basically the cure because like that's his big thing
0: yeah that is his big thing yeah, yeah everybody's
1: I, got that one band what is, what is that one band for you so i really like now uh, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the the Foo Fighters and okay and especially like I did know that but everything they've done from '94 up to now but like my main like one of my biggest influences is this guy his name's Butch Walker and he was in a band in the '90s called the Marvelous Three they had one hit was like a top maybe ten single I think it was okay like '99 like 2000 somewhere around there oh, I didn't even been 98 and he's gone on to be a producer and songwriter for he's done stuff for seven dust Taylor Swift train green day. Like, uh, like mm. he refers to producing and writing as his day job. Yeah. And then he'll go and do tours and play places like, you know, a Rams head size, a nine thirty club size, that sort of thing for the people who love his music. Yeah. But the artists he writes and produces for are playing arenas and stuff like at one point, he had just done the newest Fall Out Boy record, the new Green Day record, and uh, what was the other? It was the Hellamega Tour. It was Green Day, Fall Out Boy, I think Weezer. Mm-hmm. And he had done all three of their most recent records. and They're out doing stadiums, and he was just like, yeah, it's my day job. It's but so he, wild, man. He's such a talented dude. And he's, you know, he's in the early 90s. He was in like a hair metal band called South Gang. And I can't even picture that. They weren't super popular but they had no, a, i just mean him and a oh yeah duty had long hair and like shreddy guitar and like yeah, yeah. it was it was ridiculous <laughs> and they split up Marvelous three happened had a hit label went to shit or they were signed to electra and then electra said look we're going to keep you on our label we're just not going to promote you oh. and so the band broke up and they kind of went there separate. but they're still all those guys are still really good friends but yeah he's just a super talented dude and him and uh and along with like dave and the foo fighters like those two i just like the way they do things because you can tell they're loving every second of the music they keep themselves grounded they, yeah. no, they don't become rock stars in their head
0: yeah and i think that era of rock stardom is kind of over anyway but you know,
1: it's not even necessary and like i'm uh i don't know when this podcast will get posted but tonight okay eight o'clock so a week from today <laughs> no no no, like, no, no. I'm saying, like, in a week from today, I'm going to go see Paul McCartney. Oh, okay, okay. And, like, there's another guy, like, again, though the Beatles thing, like, if you don't, like, or at least, even if you're not a Beatles fan, you have to respect, like, the impact they've had from yeah. style, production, like, the whole nine. But there's another guy who's arguably one of the biggest rock stars on the planet who seems completely grounded, Paul. Like, he just, he seems yeah. like you could just walk into a bar and have a drink with him and not realize you're sitting there with a beetle you're making me
0: think of a a, a guy who's a rock star that i don't even know what he did to earn this but he's he's getting nickelback treatment now and that's bono oh yeah like the band gave everybody a free album which everyone got pissed about for some reason okay it was a little invasive but at the same time it's like he's basically like somehow their career is ruined now because of that basically and people talk. he was
1: never really a rock star rock star Charitable seems to do like good things for people. And I don't understand like why they you two gets like this hate. Like they have some of the best and biggest records of the 80s. I mean time will set this straight.
0: It's kind of like nickelback. Like they got so much hate for so long that now there's like a subculture of people like, no, let's just admit that they're great. It's like, well, they're not great. Okay, they're derivative. It's not for me.
1: Let's put it that way. It's not for me, but they do have some hooks. I will say, even though I'm not a fan generally not a fan the production on their records is amazing they sound slick and produced but you know the songs for me like I'm a big lyrics guy and if the lyrics are like make me roll my eyes I'm like okay yeah, you can't so, do it it's kind of like bro country but in like rock form 100 percent. yeah that's
0: what it is so with falltown you had a lot of success you got to play the hf festival in yeah.
1: some capacity i believe yeah we played the 06 hf festival at Merryweather. we can say we played Merryweather. it was a side stage not the main stage but it was still yes uh mary we uh you wouldn't have found this anywhere we opened for richard marks once Oh, Uh, no, I did not know that. I was going to ask you what the best. uh, We opened for Richard Marks. We were scheduled to play with Evan and Jaron, who had like a hit called Crazy for This Girl all these years ago. It was them and the Pat McGee Band. Uh, It was at the Inner Harbor on the 4th of July, and it rained. So we got got bumped. Um, We played. We've done stuff with Jimmy's Chicken Shack before years ago. I'm trying to think. I like, just had Jimmy
0: on the show, and I said, Jimmy, we played together back in like 2003, and we sounded like we would have sounded almost 20 years ago, and I,
1: I want to play with you again to fix this. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> he's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, it was- I mean, I I wonder how many people – because they've had a long, successful career. I wonder how many people have said to him, hey, we play with you, and he's just like, sure, sure you did. Right. And you were also on
0: live television. Fall Town played. Yeah. Which had to be – that had to be nerve-wracking because you know going in that it's going to sound – well, it's going to sound like a, a board mix yep.
1: onto live TV. This wasn't that long. Well, well uh, then uh, – so for a brief period of time, the band went by in a completely egotistical asshole way. We were called Scott Lester and What Army? And Mike Newberry named the project that because – I didn't really. This was like in between Falltown and Letterbox because I didn't. I kind of like the name to be honest. I did. I that's like the solo project name, and I because I didn't really have a band, and I had a albums worth of material that I wanted to record. So I ended up just having random people play on it. Like, yeah. hey, do you want to play lead guitar on this? Do you want to play? So, uh, eight of the eleven songs are this guy named Lester Estelle who played, he was, he has a studio in Nashville and now he's Kelly Clarkson's live drummer. He tours and records with her. He's actually on her daytime talk show in her house band. Mm. That's his gig. And then Jay played on the other three songs. So I had this record that I called Scott Lester and what army and, um, ended up finding people to to play some of the songs live, which I didn't think was going to happen. And I had a song get licensed for TV. Yes. It was NCIS, new Orleans. And I found out on a Sunday that it was going to air on Thursday. And the radio show I was working for at the time talked about it on Monday. Uh, We got contacted by a TV station in D.C. on Tuesday and asked if we wanted to come play the song the morning that it would air on CBS that night. No pressure. No, none. And it happened to be a song that we stopped playing live like four years ago. So... Everybody had to come over my house the night before. We played the song, just that one song, for like an hour. And we're like, all right, let's go do this tomorrow. So we got up ass early to drive to D.C. because it was one of those like good day D.C. type shows. Yeah. And uh, we played the song and talked about the fact that we were going to have a song in this uh, TV show. And it was a whirlwind like 48 hours or so. From from, like finding out to – being asked to do this to getting everybody together to rehearse it, to have everybody move their schedules around to go, to DC that morning right. and play. I'm so surprised we made it work. Well, one of the things you brought up was licensing. And it's one thing that a
0: lot of local musicians can do, but don't do. And I don't think, I think it's mainly because they don't understand how to do it. Yeah. But for me, it's the only way that I've found to like consistently be able to make some money off doing this. Yeah. So do you want to tell the listeners like how you got into the licensing game, who you're using? Like sure. For us, it's APM music, works really well. Oh, yeah. They farm it out there. And every once
1: in a while, you get a, a little bit of a royalty check. I use APM as one of my music libraries at work okay good so i i if i search your guys names yeah. i'll find like like I you'll find uh, about 10 schizo tracks that's that's pretty cool um so i
0: use what do you use apm music for like for beds oh yeah so if i'm gonna let's say i want to so scott <laughs> there's this band called schizo calypso and there's some music in there you know like tomorrow heavy alternative yeah i could use one of your beds on a commercial tomorrow that would be just for the fun of it and because of this particular podcast, I think you need to do it.
1: Now I'm going to have to find it. Like I'm going to I, – I, I assume if I search probably your name or the band name, uh, it will come up. I, I think just get to Eclipso will get you there because go I've gone to their page before to look it up. And oh, yeah. I have a, a user account, so I can just search like everything in their library. That's – I'm going to – I'll message you tomorrow once I actually get in there. Slip, and look. <laughs> slip it into a Vagabond commercial. I'll use it in the new Vagabond commercial. with That would be great. <laughs> so – before like any licensing has to happen, like people need to like own their publishing and their writing. And I just started my own publishing company, which sounds way fancier than it is. It just means you're with the licensing, 50% goes to the publisher, 50% goes to the writer. If you're both, you get all of it. So right. I started a publishing company called Marshall says music. Marshall is my dog's dog. Name. Yeah. And so when I put out a song, it's you know copywritten and then I own the publishing and then I just submit it. The company I use is called Crucial Music, and they are like I've submitted I don't know maybe twelve or fourteen songs to them. They've taken three, and it's weird. Like the ones that I that they take, I'm like one of them they took. I absolutely hate the song, but I figured I might as well like, yeah. submit it. It's one of my least favorites, probably the my least favorite song I've ever written, but whatever. Uh, if they think they can put it in something, put it in the new Spider Man movie. Make me a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, but I uh I just submit stuff to them and then they pitch it to whomever. Like I can see all the pitches they've done, but you know, there's more pitches than where it lands, yeah. but you know, I'll take what I can get.
0: I noticed with APM that they were basically refusing anything that was a ballad. Anything that didn't have like driving drums and electric guitar completely dumped. Really? How so, long have you been like under their umbrella? 2008 or 9, maybe oh, okay. 10. It's been a long time. Interesting. And I, I've also realized that if you don't continue giving them music, you just fall off their radar. Inter- yeah, that makes sense. So, huh. so we've talked about Fall Town. Yes. You had some success there. I did want to talk about Scott Lester and What Army, but let's just cover that real quickly so we can get into Letterboxd. Sure. Scott Lester and What Army, that particular album was recorded over a very long period of time. Oh, it's almost like your pet sounds, Chinese democracy, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And it had a lot of really noteworthy guests on it. So who was on that particular album?
1: It was So I, a lot of it, to, to finish it, I did a, like a Kickstarter and it was the, the title of my Kickstarter was Scott wants to put out an album before Axel Rose does again. <laughs> is what I called it, and uh, so guests on it, like besides like friends and stuff, I had Frank Shavarro from Brickfoot played guitar okay. on it. Yeah, yeah. Mike Waddell, who's a guitar player from this area, played on it. Lester Estelle, who like he used to be in a, a primarily a Christian rock band called Pillar, but he also plays with Kelly Clarkson. Um, he's on it. Whiteman's St- on it, isn't it? Steve Whitman's on it. He's doing harmony vocals on probably four or five songs that's awesome um i'm trying to think and then did he sing it in his steve whiteman voice oh 100 okay good you should i'll one day have to because you took
0: vocal lessons with steve
1: yeah for a number of years
0: he talks the way he sings 100 like hey brad how you doing like oh my
1: god you you talk like that too the first time i met him he's so awesome dude he's still if you think of his band kicks from you know mid late 80s still looks the same First time I met him, he comes walking out of the lesson studio, black jean shorts, cut off, converse sneakers, red shirt, no sleeves. Are you Scott? And I was like, "What's up, man?" Like, and he definitely helped me <laughs> learn to be a better singer, and like what to do, and more importantly, what not to do. But I asked him to. I was like, "Do you want? Can you you know sing harmonies on this?" He was like, "Yeah," and I sent him the track. He recorded his vocals at his house, and he sent back just oh, that's so cool man and one other guest on it the last song on the record um there's a piano player his name is robert uh roger joseph manning jr he has played one of my favorite bands of all time i should have mentioned before jellyfish um he was in jellyfish they are good beck's touring band he's played with blink 182 he's um there's a band now called the licorice quartet it's basically the guys, a bunch of the former guys from Jellyfish doing like that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I emailed him and I was just like, hey, I, you know, I'd love you to play on the song. And he was like, okay, here's my rate. I was like, oh, sorry. You know, that's out of my budget. He goes, what is your budget? I told him. He said, yeah, okay. And that's how I got the record. I met. don't have a budget. I don't. My budget is nothing. <laughs> I'll come wash your car. And he recorded the keys at his studio in LA. And then I sent uh, it off to be mastered. A guy named Brad Blackwood mastered that record, the Scott Lester and Wood Army record. And he had just come off winning a Grammy with Allison Krauss and Robert Plant. And he had done, he'd mastered records from Maroon 5, and Shinedown, and uh, like all these like huge artists. And he actually just did the audio remaster of the new Prince record that just came out live in Syracuse. He just mastered that or remastered that. And I asked him, I'm like, look, man, Love your work. Would love you to master this album, and we just like I was like, "What's your rate?" and He told me, "I'm like, well, here's my budget." And he was like, "Yeah, okay." All ca- all you gotta do is ask. Yeah, uh, it's like sales. They could say no. Yeah, that's it. I'm fully fully prepared. You kind of anticipated they were gonna say no in the first place, which is why you didn't want to ask them. I'm fully prepared for people yeah. to just to tell me no. And I I have a there's two Scott Lester and What Army songs that didn't make the record. One I just finished. Steve did harmonies on this was like the last six months or so. And there's another one I have, I asked a drummer from one of my former, like one of my favorite bands to play on. And he surprisingly said yes. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I don't want to say who it is, but they had like world tours and like success. And yeah. so if it comes through, it'll be another where it could be a Scott Lesterwood army song. It could be a letterbox song. I'm not really sure yet, but, uh, if if he plays drums on it, I'm I'm excited if that comes to you know. Dude, I, I hope it does, man. So one of the things
0: uh, I found out pretty quickly looking into you was I could not find half of your music on Spotify. Where are the Falltown songs? You don't no. There's no Falltown anywhere.
1: Oh, okay, so it's just not coming out. That's it. No, there's no Falltown. Fall really, only had like three original songs. Oh, and well, three original songs we recorded. Okay. And then um, the one that Jeff and I are working on again, um, that I wouldn't mind like actually putting out somewhere. What about
0: Scott Lester and What Army? I did not look that up. There's a full record, 11 songs. Okay, it, on, it is on
1: spot. Yeah, it's Spotify, Apple Music, all that fun stuff. All right, so we got to get into Letterboxd.
0: Letterbox is the new group you've just put out. Well, you've got four singles that are out there. I'm sure you got much more music because you're playing shows. Yes. Uh, you recently recorded what we're going to hear at the end, a, a song called Move Me yep. in Nashville. How did that all
1: come about? So that was the first song. So the, the lineup of the band, I'm singing and playing rhythm guitar. A guy named Jim Luperello is playing guitar. My brother Shane is playing bass and harmony vocals. And our drummer at the time uh, named Dustin Yos. And he recently left the band, but no like band drama or anything. Him and his wife, they had their first kid. They wanted to be back home near family, moved back home to Arizona, can't really do shows with your drummer living in Arizona yeah so but before that about two years about 2018 I guess it was we decided we had just written this song that thought it sounded like what we should sound like yeah like this is it and um we were a lot of the bands like we like collectively Jimmy Eat World, Death Cab for Cutie and then there's this band called May it's M-A-E and they had a record come out probably now 15 years ago called the Everglow that was just a great record. They toured the world on it and their singer opened his own studio in Nashville. And our guitar player, Jim said, what if we record this with him because his style would fit this song. I'm like, okay, just go reach out to him. Just tell him we want to come down there and, you know, and work on this song. Yeah. Again, thinking. It sounds great. Thank you. It really does. I, I appreciate that. I I was fully expecting him to be like, no, like you guys are nobodies from nowhere. No. And he said, yes, we got on a phone call. We did like an hour pre-production call and went, ended up booking time. We went down to the studio and it was the most unique recording experience I've ever had because we got walked into that studio on a Monday and didn't record a single thing the entire day what we did, what we set up drums and all that stuff. But I sat down with him and the rest of the band and he goes, okay, I want to go through this song line by line so I can understand what you're saying and how you are feeling. So we can make sure everyone who listens to it does too. And I was like, wow. Okay. It's a pre-production that a lot of local studios don't even have time to do. No, no. And we were there for four days, Monday through Wednesday. We just did the one song and he we even had like a, a big like whiteboard dry erase board that i would write out like the first verse and he would be like we tweaked a word here and there and by the time we were done at the end of that day i remember my drummer going fuck man we need to ask you more about what stuff's about like like realizing right. like well this does have meaning to it like I wrote it for a reason, not just slap together some words that sounded good. Yeah. And it's really just about my whole experience with, Ike. I have anxiety horribly. And I never knew that as horribly, much as, yeah, you've never shared that. Now
0: I, there's another guy we talk kind of like, you know, sidebar about it, but I didn't know you had it as well. I
1: am the, few years back, like the therapist I started seeing changed my entire life. Like, I feel like I'm a better, you can write the number down on this piece 100%, of paper. A hundred percent. I will hook you up, man. Like the hundred percent, like the first visit I ever had with him, like I walked in and he's younger than I am. Okay. And he was like, all right, you know, what are you here for? Essentially, because we had a, a cursory phone call first, but then, you know, I walk in, I explain, you know, my issues. And as I'm explaining it, I go, and I feel like feel like and i couldn't really put it and he goes right. you feel like you're fucking crazy right and i was like yeah and he's like we'll we'll, we'll work on that and i was like this is the guy i need to be seeing yeah and he's like just so you know coming in to, to do this like there's no magic switch or pill or whatever button to push that all these feelings go away but there is a way that you can live with and work through it or with it hmm. and the song move me is all about how I felt with anxiety and kind of like my dealing with it and just like the feelings I had throughout like waking up each day going, Fuck, is today gonna be any better than yesterday? Is today gonna be worse? Like automatically thinking your day's gonna suck by the t- before your feet even hit the floor.
0: So let me ask you this. If you want to share, sure. Is there a root to the anxiety? Like for me, it's OCD. Honestly, and then it's like kind of like a byproduct of the OCD.
1: Mine is a lot of what if isms, like so OCD. Yeah, in so a it, way, and I, I can, guess I can think all the way back to stuff in like third grade where oh. I was now thinking about it. I'm like, that was it then, but then it wasn't like as I don't know, like common well, anxiety so, producing. Yeah, or even like. People back then just said, like, the kid was, like, hyper or, you know, or whatever. Right, right. So, you know, being anxious or nervous feeling in school or public situations or something like that. But it's so weird. Like, certain things that do give me anxiety or that make it, like, But if you told me right now, hey, here's a guitar. You have to go on a stage and play for 20,000 people. Doesn't bother me in the least. But sometimes, like, leaving the house to go to the mall would. Is it, like, a social anxiety? Sometimes I think, and I, I, I think so, but I'm, I don't mind talking to people or like this, like I wasn't nervous or anxious about this. Like it's almost like a free floating anxiety and it just doesn't really have, I don't know what the cause of it is. And the therapist I talked to, he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what the cause of it is. He's like, it doesn't matter anymore. He's like, but we're going to focus on from here forward. Not anything that happened because that can't change and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I was like, you are on to something. Yes. I haven't
0: talked to anybody since I was 18, but I'd like to. I've noticed that certain months of the year, they're worse than others. So much so, I came up with this theory that between May and July, it's always really bad. I, I, I figured this out. So then I started like looking back at my Facebook memories and realizing I was posting more about it during those times. Interesting. And I remembered like certain moments where I was like, no, that was that, was that summer. I was like a mess. And then I started realizing it was every summer I was in. A mess so i don't want to get into like the freudian reason the underlying thing maybe like your therapist said it doesn't matter yeah but I, f- I find it interesting
1: that it's around this time every year and for a lot of people mine's not so much seasonal but a lot of people like i know like they call it like sad seasonal affective disorder where it's like uh in in like winter the cold weather months because it's dark and it's dreary and just overall shitty So for me, though, it's just it was just whenever it wasn't it was like a day to day thing. But yeah, fast forward now, a few years later, I definitely feel like I've got it under the best control that it's been under where I actually feel like. A functional person.
0: Well, good plans for Letterboxd.
1: Yeah, got, sorry, I don't but, know how we got down that road. No, uh, no, it's 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 good because I think when people do
0: hear the song, which is going to be at the end, it's called "Move Me." They'll have the connective tissue. So, but anyway, what are some of the plans for the group?
1: So, uh, yesterday we just rehearsed, and we, I uh, believe, we found a new permanent drummer, um, which I'm excited about because that means the shows that we can play. We've had a few other friends who have been able to like fill in and stuff. So we've been able to rehearse. Um, We had, we got offered a show this month, uh, which ended up one of our guys is going to be out of town, but even if he was in town, I don't know if we'd be ready with a new guy by, you know, the end of the month, but um, we're going to be playing in September. We've got a tentative date and um, we've got, four, or five, maybe six songs in various states of completion. Um drums are done on them because our before we before we moved, we had our guy I had him come over to my house and we just tracked drums for like an entire day. I'm like, mm. look, if you're if you're moving, you're giving us something to work with. <laughs> so he gave us song, uh, drums for um drums for four songs. The guy I talked about Lester actually did play drums on a letterbox song that were almost done. That's five. And then the other drummer I was mentioning, um, if he does it, there's six. And then we've got a few other ones. So the the big plan is to have an album out by the end of the year, like a full length album. But awesome. Look forward to that.
0: Two things before we wrap. Yeah, Number man. one, trademark the name. Yes. All right. Letterbox. I, I went to the USPTO. It is not trademarked. There are letterboxes out there, just not musically. So trademark your name. I know you've had an ordeal with that. Yes. It's right behind me here on the wall. And, how many of each animal did Moses take onto the ark? Moses didn't take any animals onto the ark. Okay, that, that is the correct answer, yes. No, that would be Noah. Okay, <laughs> yes it was Noah. Scott, thank you for being on the show. This is Move Me.
1: Sad December, while I struggle to remember with a whisper in the dark, and I wonder how we are. Fall into my devices, you know I'm always fighting to keep my head above the tide. Apart, sell myself so short.